Hey, Kuya. Hey, Sigs. I've been feeling a little bit shocked at the mass shootings that occurred recently in Monterey Park, California. Mm. Uh, since that shooting, I've noticed it's put a damper on the Lunar New Year celebrations for our fellow Chinese Canadians and also the fellow Chinese um, Americans. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I've noticed a damper on those celebrations that just recently occurred. I'm still sort of in disbelief. Like this echoes anti-Asian racism we've seen in the last couple of years. And I think it hits a little bit home to both of us, a ballroom mm-hmm. place. Like our parents are like love ballroom dancing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems to hit close to home. And I'm still wondering what needs to be done. That's a really good question. I think we keep doing what we've talked about before. I think when tragedies like this occur, we need to mourn. We need to keep mourning. But we also need to keep finding solidarity with each other and with those that have common cause with us. We need to also make room for our anger. And we need to also recognize that our anger is righteous and our anger is also a call to action. And I also think that we need to take care of each other. I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. Sigs, I sometimes think that shock is a moment where we freeze. And once we thaw out, we may sometimes think we need to do something new or even something different. And as I was thinking about the Monterey, California shootings during Lunar New Year. I think sometimes what we need to do is to go back to basics or go back to our values or go back to our principles. So for this month, our Social Justice Month, I think we need to revisit some of our past episodes on social justice and curate them specifically to respond to the social injustices that we've seen this year. So again, Sigs, you've mentioned how the Lunar New Year in Monterey, California, really felt like an echo. Oh, yeah. And I felt that too. Mm -hmm. So when the news broke out this year, I thought of the Atlanta shootings and how hate and violence still is present. And so we talked about that in episode 312-625, entitled Empowerment Through Solidarity and Mourning. And I think that that episode still applies here. You know, when I think about that particular episode we can easily replace every mention of the Atlanta shootings with Monterey. And the episode would still be coherent, and Mm -hmm. I think our discussion would still apply. So I think instead of rehashing that episode, I think we should just simply revisit it here. So let's go back to episode 312-625, Empowerment Through Solidarity and Mourning. Hey, Kuya. Hey, Sig. I'm just checking in. So how are you doing? I think we've all been better. Quite frankly, I've been feeling numb. And it's been a week since the shooting spree in Atlanta. 
and the chill that it has set over the Asian community is really unmistakable. Yes, there has been a lot to unpack in the news. This pandemic has brought out a lot of anti-Asian hate, from xenophobic remarks from a previous U.S. president to the growing number of incidents of hate, street harassment, and vandalism, and last week's deadly shootings in Georgia. It's upsetting to see all this happening. Moreover, it just shows me that this is a reminder that anti-Asian racism isn't something new or novel. Seeing the coverage in the media is hard to take and it's overwhelming. What can we do? Sigs, I think we need to stand shoulder to shoulder with the broader community. Sigs, the Atlanta shootings remind me how hate is ever-present and ever-existing and is on that extreme end of the spectrum of prejudice. Kriya, remind me what is the spectrum of prejudice? One end of the spectrum, there is what we would call unconscious bias, where prejudice operates within that person and also outside of their awareness. So they are acting and treating people differentially, but don't even know that they're actually doing that. And prejudice structures like white supremacy and colonialism make people not question their unconscious bias and subsequently just feed people that narrative that we treat people in a prejudiced fashion because it's normal or because that's the way it is. And I think that there's just no questioning around it. And so when we talk about people being woke, that's kind of what it means, like being awoken to that unconscious bias. Next to unconscious bias, though, is bias itself. And it's usually expressed by individuals as preferences where a judgment has been consciously made in favoring or preferring something or someone. So, for example, I only buy Apple products. So mm-hmm. I know I have that bias. Right. I don't think outside of anything outside of Apple computer or Apple products for that matter. So it's a clear preference. It's a clear distinction. It's a clear bias for it. But I also know it. Right. Next to unconscious bias on that spectrum of prejudice is discrimination. And that includes all the different types of isms that we hear. So whether it's sexism, racism, Mm -hmm. um, any type of ism, anti-black racism, anti-Asian racism. These are all forms of discrimination and can result, again, in differential. But what I would probably add further is unjust treatment of others. So much so that it gives people an unfair advantage or disempowers or oppresses others. And then, of course, at the extreme end of the spectrum of prejudice is really hate crimes. Examples of that is, of course, what we saw last week with the Georgia-Atlanta shootings, where, mm-hmm. in my mind, are is really not only just the unjust treatment, but the targeting of a specific and usually historically oppressed group of people. And that they usually f- come in the forms of some type of attack or brutal attack on those targeted p- people. That is a a lot to process. Yeah, I think it is a lot to process. I think that this is why I've been feeling numb because it's a stark and sometimes awful reminder of prejudice against Asians. And us being identifying not only just as Filipinos, but pan-ethnically, as we've talked about Mm -hmm. in a previous podcast, being Asians, it can be overwhelming. And I can understand how our community has been feeling a range of emotions from you know, shock and astonishment to really deep sadness and fear. From what I've seen, like many social media posts are about people of Asian descent feeling unsafe. What is it we can do to feel safe? That's a really great question. I think 
realistically, safety is not about feeling safe, but actually about feeling safe enough. I think uh-huh. it, there's a bit of a disservice if we think about trying to find 100% safety. Because okay. the question around that is, is there actually really 100% safety? Is there a place in the world where you can get 100% safety? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And so it's about feeling safe enough as far as I'm concerned. And safe enough recognizes that there, again, are real and present dangers in this world that we can't ignore them. Because to actually ignore that, we become complacent in some ways and we're actually Mm -hmm. walking in a dreamland of sort. Feeling safe enough means being okay with some level of fear, but so much so that it doesn't dictate us from living our lives and also having some way of addressing the dangers that threaten our safety. And so addressing those threats or those dangers means really becoming prepared, becoming more skilled. And how you prepare and become skilled depends on the danger that you're preparing. But let me just say this as a caveat. There's really not one way of preparing for a shooting spree. You know, it's kind of like akin to living in a conflict-ridden and militarized state where there could be bombings at any time. So I think about kind of like the West Bank or the Gaza Strip. People at the end of their day, if they thought about the possibility of where there might be a disruption or where there might be a bombing, it would be hard to live your life. And so people just accept. And when I've talked to people from those areas, that area of the world, they very much say the same thing, that if a bomb has your name on it, a bomb has your name on it. And I know that that's unfortunate to think of, but it's also a realistic way of kind of just understanding that unpredictability of life, sometimes the unpredictability of hate. If you let it dictate your life, you end up not living it. That's a good point. But there is no way actually to prepare for something as heinous as a shooting spree or as a bombing. But we can be prepared for other dangers that flow from that spectrum of prejudice that I had described earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think firstly, and we've been kind of doing this already, we prepare by educating ourselves and becoming continually aware of the oppression and prejudice that surrounds us. And it's interesting, I talked about earlier about being woke. And just because you know oppression and prejudice doesn't mean that you're completely awake to the oppression that exists out there. The oppression that does exist out there is, you know, pervasive and unending and continues to impact on us. And learning to become critical or not forgetting to be critical of what's around us is really what's important. And I would say that our two sets of episodes on social justice help with raising one's consciousness and providing a framework to critique these inequities that we've been seeing. And then finally, the other thing that I would say about safety is this is that we become skilled by taking action that's consistent with who we are and our skill level. Sigs, you might be great at supporting and witnessing, and I might be great at advocating and policy rewriting or policy reform. But it doesn't mean that you need to be doing what I'm doing or I need to be doing what you're doing. We do what we're comfortable with and we go with what's in our wheelhouse and use that to take action against these social injustice that we feel. And constantly taking action, we actually start to dismantle that spectrum of hate that I was talking about with respect to bias, unconscious bias, and even discrimination for that matter. Those are really good points about educating ourselves and be continually aware 
and like you've said so many times before that this journey of anti-racism it's ongoing it's, it's every day it really is ongoing and it is really mm-hmm. every day it's about getting yourself to question the everyday i was talking to michael about this about you know how there was a time that the two of us you know, would be scared about being gay bashed. Yeah. I would think that that was maybe 25 years ago. And I know that times have changed and we might not be as vigilant and we might not need to be as vigilant, but it doesn't mean that we forget about being vigilant. And I would say that for any other, you know, person that's part of a minority group or an oppressed group Mm -hmm. that, we do have to be vigilant. And that's the part that sucks because our white friends that might not have to deal with that, that's an extra energy that they have. And in some ways that kind of forms what's called minority stress, that this is an extra stress that you and I and anyone else that could be subject to some form of prejudice has to face of having to deal with that. And there's lots of studies that show that minority stress creates psychological issues, health issues, a number of different issues. But I would say it's actually important to do or else we become complacent and then start to collude with these systemically oppressive structures. We start to buy into things like the model minority myth or we believe ourselves to be less than others when we think about ourselves in the general Canadian society. So, Something to think about. From this, what else can we do? The first thing that kind of comes to mind in terms of not only just kind of feeling safer by educating ourselves and taking action, I think we also start to feel safer by actually joining in solidarity and more specifically Mm -hmm. joining in solidarity through mourning. But let me take that first part and explain it a little bit that I think we need to recognize that this form of hate is connected to other forms of hate and prejudice And I would say that anti-Asian racism is connected to misogyny, is connected to transphobia, is connected to Puritanism, and it keeps going on. It's connected to colonialism, Mm -hmm. it's connected to anti-black racism. In fact, it's this unfortunate web of links where all these different types of oppressions come together to cover up black, indigenous, people of color individuals and other individuals as well that have been oppressed. So think about the news and how it's like it was this person that was trying to cure his sex addiction. And then suddenly there was all this really, for lack of better words, crazy making discussion on sex workers and then having that be conflated with Asians and Asian women, all of that stuff. And it's like, none of that is true. And yet it is being perpetuated by, again, a number of different types of isms. So if we're going to talk about anti-Asian racism, we Mm -hmm. have to be able to talk about all those other types of isms and forms of oppression as well. And the way we do that is we link up with other people around that. Yeah. And I think I've talked about this before in our social justice episodes that oppression works because we're fractioned and divided And Mm -hmm. oppression is best challenged when we actually stand together and link arms together. And in some ways, my favorite metaphor is otters. I've talked about this before, too, is this is that how do otters get to the other side when rough seas are ahead? Well, they link up to another otter and then they lie back and form a raft and float to the other (laughs) side. And so listeners do that, like Google 
rafts of otters and you will see all these otters that kind of link up together lie on their back as a way of getting through rough waters and i think that that is nature's way of saying that solidarity helps us overcome some type of adversity especially the adversity of oppression i find others within and outside of our asian communities joining up with them and forming solidarity especially after the shooting spree in atlanta it gives us a chance to mourn the loss of these eight individuals killed. And mourning is about finding the courage to express our grief. And I think that there is power in mourning together with others. And, you know, I was just telling you recently about Judith Butler's book on mourning and violence in America. I can't mm-hmm. remember if that's the actual name of the book. I'll, we'll have to include it in the show notes. Right. But what kind of came out of that particular book was how she had come to the conclusion that there could be much transformation that occurs if we actually publicly express our grief or at least share our grief with others. And to do that is really hard sometimes. And I think sometimes, especially in the Filipino community, we're great at expressing our sadness over the death of loved ones, but sometimes it's a bit different when it has to do with people outside of you. And it is about finding that ability to say, hey, this affects me too. And the power in mourning together with others, it makes us emboldened to stand up to all the other forms of oppression. And I think what's important is this is that it makes us feel less isolated and vulnerable. And again, Judith Butler would have us believe that if we mourn together, it'll bring about global justice. And I really believe in that, that global justice will come about if we can actually band together and express our grief. And so mourning helps transform the loss we've experienced because of this unfortunate and astonishing and egregious form of anti-Asian racism. And in some ways, mourning helps us transform the senseless to meaningfulness. So Sig, I wanna just kind of turn over to you. What thoughts and feelings have you had since the Atlanta shooting? Because I think to myself that it is about kind of sharing these thoughts. And if we don't share these thoughts with each other, with our listeners, and listeners, I would encourage you through our socials to tell us what you've been feeling and thinking in terms of the Atlanta shooting since last week. What kind of thoughts have kind of come up? So many. I didn't think this news cycle would bring me to this. And I I had a lot of emotions last year in June, you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement happened. But now it it feels like it hits even closer to home. I feel uneasy and awoken by these feelings I've had. And the example I always think of, I remember walking down the street when I was six, like 39 years ago, a neighborhood was just yelling out racist remarks at me in like the 80s. And it's 2021 and this is still happening to people. Right. To me, it's nothing that I would do, but I'm like, why is this still happening? I think you can agree with me. Like I'm frustrated by media coverage on the shootings. We knew more about the shooter until they actually released the name of the victims. Right, right. That's not right. And even the other part, that the names weren't even correct. Yeah. Like, that's heartbreaking. And you and I have talked about our names, so people can get our names correct. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's a Star Wars movie, they can spell those names. Or if it's a Games of Thrones character, like, someone passed. We need to have respect and be accurate. I worry about our community. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine those deal. And like, this is what I've learned from you that how intersectionality plays. They have other layers that are top layered on top of it. And these issues and stresses, they're interconnected. 
especially with this, I feel that our society has a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. And from our podcast and from knowing you and talking to you and with my kids, I need to be part of that work and not be silent. Right. I do feel comfort because I think you've always shared this with me and people we've networked through our podcast and friends and family. I feel comfort to know that there are resources out there for me and everyone else to learn more. Mm-hmm. This morning or yesterday, I found... I feel motivated and refocused when I see people out in the networks and people put messages. There's someone, and I just put like an Insta story about it today, at Cyrus Vesyesi. I apologize if I spelled your, said, said your name right, but you have a wonderful words. It's not just about stopping Asian hate. It's about celebrating Asian joy. Mm-hmm. It's uplifting Asian artists. Right. It's supporting Asian businesses. It's protect Asian communities. It's recognize Asian accomplishments. When you see these little seeds, like you said, Kuya, mm-hmm. it'll transform the senselessness to meaningfulness. What can we do together? And I just feel that I have more of a responsibility, especially for Delaney and Mac, and you probably think the same way for your nephews, nieces, your godchildren. I want to do more for them. Right. What have your thoughts been since the shooting? Similar ones to, to what you've had mentioned there. I'm so bothered by this continual discussion of the exoticization of Asian women. And that it happened at these massage parlors and people talked about and made judgments about sex workers. And it was just incredible just kind of hearing all of that being said in the media without any care or regard to people and to sex workers and to Asians and conflating a, a number of different things. You know, I thought about one of my friends who's an actual registered massage therapist. And it's crazy mm-hmm. that I have to say actual. Yeah. She's an RNT of Japanese descent. She sometimes contends with the male gaze. Sometimes that this creates stress on her. And it just made me think like that's something that she probably thinks about. You know, and I worry about the Philippinex women in my life who also contend with the same stresses. Thinking about like, is this person kind of checking me out? You know, are they sexualizing me? So those are things that I was also worried about. And then I wonder how we can entangle ourselves from that idea of being a perpetual foreigner or those model minority stereotypes that we've talked about before. Something else that kind of came up for me as well is, I alluded to this earlier in Mm. today's podcast, worry about being complacent and forgetting to have my wits about me. You know, and so... That's a thought. And, you know, and it's a double-edged sword. I think to myself, well damn it, why do I have to be the one that has to have my wits about me when yeah. there are other people in this world that, that don't have that concern and don't have that burden and don't have that minority stress as I alluded to earlier. But at the same time, I bet you it's my wits that has kept me safe and sound all these years. And so I detest that I have to have my wits about me to keep me safe. Again, a double-edged mm-hmm. sword. And I think to myself, this though, Amidst all of these worries and detest feelings, I guess, I take comfort in that social norms are starting to move. And they're starting to move really quickly, at least in the last couple of years. And that there's been more solidarity today than maybe 25 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so if anything, that is where the meaningfulness has come, is knowing that we are starting to see a lot more solidarity than I recall ever seeing in my life and I'm grateful for this. And because of it, I feel less alone because of that. 
I don't know if you have anything else to say about that before we kind of end today. I think that last thought that you said that you feel less alone. Yeah. And I think, I think we think that, I think we're less alone if we share, if we share and we mourn together. Not that there has to be a fixing of the week from, you know, for this episode, but the message would be that share your thoughts of grief and loss with others. Make it be publicly known if you can. Because again, in mourning together, I think we ultimately empower our community and we empower ourselves. So that's where I think what we need to do or what we need to do more of is mourn together after this, again, egregious act of violence and hate against our Asian community. Create that larger raft. Yeah. Create the larger raft. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to share your thoughts, feelings, any resources, anyone listening to us at the Hollow Hollow podcast, please email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. We're on social media. Our Twitter handle is at hollowhollowpop. And on Instagram, we're hollowhollowpopculture. The Hollow Hollow podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Please rate us and leave a review. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. And our musical theme is by Chelt Ringham. We'll see all of you guys again soon. See you soon.